Welcome to the unscripted Scripts and Scribes podcast. These unscripted podcasts are a little more casual chat than our usual podcast episodes, but as always, hopefully still fun, interesting, and informative. Uh, and generally speaking, with these unscripted podcasts, we'll be talking to uh, friends and prior guests who have already been on the show. But today we're joined by a new guest. Uh, he was referred to me by the awesome Lee Jessup. He's a screenwriting instructor at UCLA, film independent, and hosts his own screenwriting workshops, as well as being a playwright and screenwriter himself. Uh, welcome, Mr. Corey Mandel. How, how are you, Corey? I am great. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. No, so excited. Um, now, with the Unscripted Podcast, I don't have as much uh, background on you or... I don't uh, develop as, as long list of, of questions and stuff, but we've got a lot to get into, and I know you have a lot of knowledge uh, on all things screenwriting, so this is going to be great. Um, so maybe just give me a little bit of background on yourself, uh, sure. where you studied, what you've done, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So I study, I have an MFA from UCLA. Um, my first year, I co-wrote a script with a friend that got made as a cable movie starring Virginia Madsen, and then uh, we had a falling out. I think we both wanted to take all the credit for the, for the writing <laughs> of it. And, um, and then so I launched uh, my solo career, and I was really fortunate to get hired by Ridley Scott. So while I was still in film school, I sold a pitch to Ridley Scott. And actually, to back up a little bit, I wrote a script. Uh, and this is in the late 90s. So I wrote a script that Meg Ryan got attached to, and Meg Ryan was still a star at the time. And then Chris Manol came on to direct. Uh, he had just had done Prime Suspect. And um, so that's how I got an agent. And uh, that script, as my agent said, got about as close as you can get to selling without actually selling. Um, and, but it got me a lot of meetings. And uh, actually, the, my very first meeting was with Ridley Scott's company. And uh, I got invited back. And before I knew it, I was actually in a room with Ridley Scott, which was surreal. Uh, he was my hero. And I'm in film school studying his films. And here I am in a room with him, mm -hmm. the actual person pitching my heart out. And he actually bought it in the room. Wow. And within a few days, uh, they flew me to London. And I worked with Ridley and his uh, team to write Metropolis. And then um, it was the front page of Variety. Uh, there was an article with Ridley. And Ridley said it was going to be his next film. It actually didn't turn out that way. Um, but he said very nice things about me and the script and actually named me uh, in the front page of Variety. So it was my mom's, it was the best day of her life. Nice. And um, so having really Scott say nice things about your writing uh, and saying that he's going to make your project his next movie on the front page of Variety, it's a, it's a great way to launch your career. I totally recommend it to your listeners. <laughs> and, um, and so long story short, I have done 19 for hire studio projects. I've worked for... Uh, uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Wolfgang Peterson and uh, Working Title and pretty much all of the studios. And as a writer, I've done pretty much everything you do as a professional writer. I've um, sold pitches. I've sold specs. I've been uh, hired to rewrite scripts. I've been hired to uh, adapt novels. And I've done uh, some on-set uh, writing where you're actually rewriting as they're filming. So for better or worse, um, I've done pretty much everything you do as a paid feature writer. Nice. Um, now, I guess going in, into sort of what a lot of the listeners, our listeners, are interested in, as a screenwriter, as a screenwriting instructor, uh, and having been in the business a long time, what are three things every screenwriter should know or do? Wow. That's a great question. Um, 
Well, the first thing I would say is I would start I would start my answer by saying if you talk to a lot of agents and managers, which I do, I bring them into my UCLA classes, and I'm actually friends with a fair amount of agents and managers, and you ask them what's the single biggest mistake that writers make, um, and you and I were talking a little bit before, often when you talk to agents and managers, you get a wide range of opinions, but mm -hmm. when you ask that question, you, you get a surprising similar answer, which <laughs> is most writers go out to the business with scripts that aren't good enough. And a lot of agents and managers, let me say something that I think um, might be a little chilling for your listeners to hear. Um, hopefully this will come out around Halloween. This could be your, your Halloween sort of scare moment, which is <laughs> I've heard a lot of agents say that, um, so if they get a script from an, you know, an unproven writer and they read it, uh, they're obviously just going to read the first couple of scenes. And if those scenes aren't phenomenal, they're done with the script. Um, and if the script all top to bottom is not just absolutely amazing, then they're not going to sign and represent that writer. That makes sense. But what a lot of agents will say is they will never represent that writer. That writer, in a sense, is blacklisted. And not just for them, but for their agency. And, you know, when I first heard that, it really bothered me because I teach writers and I have seen, I've worked with people who started out being horrendous and, and looked like they had no chance. And then after a lot of work and development, you know, have become amazing writers and launched careers. So it, it bothered me to hear agents say that if, if, if you show me your script and I don't think it's phenomenal, then I will never represent you. Because... To me, that suggests that the agents are saying writers can't improve. And I got into that with one of my, uh, my guests at UCLA, and he, he quickly set me straight. And he said, basically, what it comes down to is a strategic decision. And the strategic decision is agents are so incredibly busy, and they have so much to deal with, that they don't want to be in the stupid writer business. They don't want to represent stupid writers. They only want to represent really smart writers because stupid writers make a lot of mistakes that they agents have to spend time cleaning up. And so what the agent said is, you know, when you're on an assignment, you don't have a decision as to when that script is done and when you submit it. But when you're trying to break in the business, you have all the time in the world to make sure you've developed yourself to the level that you need to be at and that the script you're going out with is phenomenal because it's your first impression. You know, it's like going to a job interview for a job that everybody wants and your resume is misspelled and you're, you're wearing your pajamas. Like you're, you wouldn't do that in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. but the, and so going out with the script, that's not good enough is exactly doing that. And so what this agent said is if you move mountains to get me to read your script and it's not good enough, that means you're stupid. And therefore, I don't ever want to represent you. And agents share this information. Agencies share this information. And so, and I'm sure your listeners or most of your listeners are probably sophisticated enough to know this. But every time you show a script to someone in the industry, it gets coverage. And that mm -hmm. coverage report is shared through a database. So if you go show someone a script and it's not good enough and it doesn't get great coverage, you're, you have not just made a bad first impression locally with that company. It's globalized because they will share that information with everyone. It's like a credit score. So the single biggest mistake is not going, is going out with material before it's ready. And we can talk a little bit about what I would say and what agents and managers would say is good enough. 
But before we do it, I just want to quickly, if I can, sure. uh, pivot and say, working with lots of writers, I think that the reason writers make this mistake, for the most part, is not because they're stupid. Um, it's because they don't know better and because they get information from the wrong people. So by case in point, um, when I started out in the business, I was in film school. I was in a writer's group with some professional writers. I developed a script with them, got it to the point where everyone in the group, including working writers, told me, this script is amazing. It's ready. It'll get you an agent. It will sell. To make sure, I showed it to my instructor at UCLA who had you know, taught a lot of now very famous writers. He read it. He said, this is one of the best scripts I ever read. I would love to help you get an agent. At the time, I was interning for a manager, and almost as a favor to that manager, I showed him the script. That was kind of how arrogant I was at the time. And so he read it, and I'll never forget. He told me, I think it's a good first draft. You certainly don't want to show it to anyone in the industry. It's not good enough. It's not even close to being good enough, but I can help you develop it if you want. And I was like, uh, did I tell you what my writing group said? Did I tell you what my professor said? Because I thought it was good enough. Because working writers were telling me it was good enough. People that I trusted were telling me it was good enough. And what the manager told me, and I would very much try to impress this upon your listeners, is my, the manager, well, it wasn't my manager at the time, I was interning for him, but he said, I'm in the business of breaking writers into the business. Working writers don't do that. Your teacher doesn't do that. I know how I know how high the bar is, and I know what the competition is, and I know this isn't good enough. Th this script might be better than 99% of other scripts. This script might be one of the best scripts your professor ever read or your friends ever read. They might be genuine in that. Um, but it's not good enough to break you into the business. And I think he could tell that I wasn't convinced he was right. So he said, hire some readers, some studio readers, pay them money under the table, have them do the actual coverage they would do if the script landed on their desk, and then we'll see. So I didn't have the money to do that, but I did it. I hired three readers. And when the coverage came back, there's coverage for the story, you know, the execution and the writer. And for the writer, it'll say generally recommend, consider, or pass. And all three coverages came back pass on the writer, which was a huge blow to my ego, um, but it got my attention. So I went back to the manager and I said, okay, you were right. Thank you. And by the way, I just want to quickly say, if, if I was interning for a different kind of manager, the kind, and there's a lot of them out there, that just throw a lot of stuff against the wall to see what'll stick. Mm -hmm. He would have taken that out, and I, I very well likely wouldn't have launched my career. Mm -hmm. So what he did is he said, "I'll work with you," and it was a year and a half. And he said, "Look, you've got certain strengths, you've got certain weaknesses, and you've got blind spots, which are weaknesses you don't even know you have. Let me show you what you don't know. Let me help you turn weaknesses into strengths." And so it was a year and a half of a like a daily mentorship. Um, a lot of time, a lot of energy. At the end of that year and a half, he said, I now think you're ready. I'll pay for coverage. He paid for three different readers, and it came back, recommend, recommend, recommend. Um, script went out. I had an agent within a week at ICM, and I had the Ridley Scott deal shortly thereafter. So the point is, I would have gone out with that script, and I don't I don't think it's because I was stupid. It was because 
you know, as a writer, we are trying to write the best possible material. We need to have a sense of confidence. We need to have a sense that what we're writing is good or has a chance. And then when, when teachers and script consultants, and that's one of my big issues is there's some great script consultants out there, and I'm sure you've had some on this call, but a fair amount of script consultants, no matter what their credits are, they're in a volume business and they want happy customers and happy customers are repeat customers. So I have seen people pay money for script consultants with great credentials and been told your script is now ready. Your script is phenomenal. And that writer took that script out to the marketplace and got slammed. Mm -hmm. So that said, there are some script consultants out there who I think are, are absolutely great. So I'm not casting aspersions on the entire industry. Right. Um, but anyway, I think that a lot of writers make this mistake because they can't evaluate their own work and the people they've turned to um, have told them things and they honestly think their script is good enough and the reality it isn't. And that bar that you have to hit is so much higher today yeah. than it was when I broke into the business in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the first thing I would say is you should not be in a rush to get people to read your script. And be careful because there's an industry out there, people who make money from telling you what stands between you and a career is access. And they can help you get that access through a pitch fest or a certain kind of contest or, or they'll market your material or whatever. They, they are there to help you get access to agents and managers because of course your writing is good enough, you just need access. Of course, they get paid for this. And the reality is, for 99.99999% of writers, they're making a mistake. Um, now, obviously, if your writing is good enough, um, the, people aren't going to just show up at your door, and, and you have to find those people. But um, for most writers, they spend so much time and energy trying to get access to the industry without realizing that they're not even close to being where they need to be at. So that would be the, the main thing that I would impress upon your listeners that they really, really consider. Okay. Um, now, segueing from that and adding a question here, in terms of screenplay consultants as well as paid script readers, we do have a, a, a page on our site that has a few and we don't get paid. It's not like we're advertising them mm -hmm. uh, for any sort of paid reason, we're not. It's not a sponsored thing. They, we have done uh, outreach to a lot of our our uh, listeners, our readers, to find out who they respected, who they liked, and we put a few of them up there. Um, but from your perspective, mm -hmm. um, what are some things that writers should be looking for when considering a screenplay consultant and or a good reader? Great. So. The way I look, and I, but I have done script consulting for a long time. I no longer do that. So there's no hidden agenda here of, you know, bashing the competition so people will come to me because I'm not providing that service. I'm just too busy right now. Um, in my mind, there's, the, there's a difference between a consultant and a reader. To me, when you get a reader, you should hire, you should not hire anybody who's advertising. 
Um, you should not hire anyone who has a business. You should hire an actual reader. I was a studio reader, you know, someone who works for the networks or a management company or the studios or, you know, production company, and they are a reader. They're, they don't have an internet web page. They're not promoting the service. They are a current reader clawing their way up the food chain so that they can become an executive or a producer, an agent, whatever it is they want to be doing. They don't get paid a lot, you know. So if you were to offer them, and I don't know exactly what amount will work, but let's say $100, $150 to do coverage of your script. Again, this is someone who doesn't have a business model doing this. They simply are an actual working reader. This is the actual person that will do the coverage of your script uh, if you were able to submit it to that place. So if you're going for a reader, I would probably look for someone who is not advertising, does not have a business. Now, I don't, a reader is not going, uh, what a reader will do is say, this is the actual coverage report I would write. So you get a good sense of how your script will be perceived in the industry. They're not going to tell you what's wrong with the script and how to fix it. They're just going to tell you, this is the coverage report that I would write. I think a script consultant is a different animal. I think a script consultant is someone who, now some script consultants will disagree with this, but I can only speak for myself. When I was a script consultant, it, it was not my job to tell a writer if the script was good enough or not um, or if it would sell because like, that's a subjective call. My job was to work with the writer to see what is the story they're intending to tell, why are they so interested in it, uh, why are they so interested in their characters, and see the movie that plays in their head and then help them see the movie that plays in other people's head when they read their script. And so my personal, um, I saw my mission as helping them execute the best possible way on the story they want to tell and in the characters that they want to tell. It wasn't my job to say, well, if it was me, I, I would change your story this way. Or I don't think your story is going to have the best chance. I think it'd be better if you did it this way. And a lot of consultants do that. And there certainly are writers that want that kind of service. Um, personally, I think that's a mistake because at the end of the day, Nobody knows what's going to connect to the marketplace. And I think what's important as a writer is you want to learn how to execute the best possible way on your material. So, you know, in terms of what they should be looking for, it really depends on what they want to get out of it. Um, you know, the other, the other thing I would throw out there is some script consultants work from a formula. And so they have a, a mentality that this has to happen on such and such a page or this is how you construct, you know, stories that will be successful. And when you talk to agents and managers, by and large, uh, these scripts that are written to these formulas are just ignored, routinely ignored. And I have a growing list of agents and managers who are sending me students because they say this person has a lot of talent, but they have an MFA or they work with this person and they're, they're working within these uh, paradigm constraints and we need someone to break them out of that and teach them how to create organic story structure. So I'm not sure I really answered your question, Kevin. I, <laughs> I think it really depends on what someone's like. I'll say this. If, if I was a writer looking for a consultant, mm -hmm. I would, one of the things I'd want to know is what is their approach and do they work from a formula or a paradigm? in which case I would not hire them. The second thing I'd want to know is, are they going to read my script and give me notes and feedback to improve it based on what they think is better and like based on if they were the writer, what they would do, which if 
if those notes are so valuable, how come they're not a working writer? How come they're making their money doing consulting? I would look for a consultant who had the ability to read my script, have a conversation with me, uh, not just give me canned notes, but have a conversation with me about what I was intending and what I was going for and what I'm excited about and help support that vision. In a sense, like a private development executive. Gotcha. Um, that's what I'd be looking for. Mm-hmm. I did want to touch base on uh, the paid reader topic just really quickly. Um, and I'm not disagreeing with what you had said, but I did want to add that I, I've found at least a couple uh, paid readers who have read for or even currently reading for studio executives, uh, you know, studios, agencies, production companies, networks, that kind of thing, but do sort of have a small web presence, even though it's kind of crummy. Uh, but they're terrific readers, guys like Screenplay Mechanic or Rob Ripley or Bart Gold. They're primarily studio readers, but also they make slightly more money reading on the side, but they're an individual. You pay them by PayPal. They're not sure. like some big company sure. uh, that yeah, provides and I, think th- I think those people are worth their weight in gold. I just think for every one of those, there's a lot of people who are out there basically saying overly positive things about scripts. Oh, so sure. People... So, yes, I'm sorry. Um, I, I would agree. There are there are some people like that who are excellent. And if you have them on your web page, then you're providing a great service for people. Yeah, and there's literally only a handful. And if, only the ones that get great referrals from everybody that we talk to. Um, and by, by people we talk to, I'm talking about writers. Um, I mean, that, all that said, though, if, if somebody could find someone who works at, you know. But yes, but at the same time, if there's people who... The people you're talking about, I know of, and there certainly are people out there that are great. Yeah. But again, I think part of the thing is if they don't have a presence, sometimes it can be harder for a writer coming from sure. not outside the industry to find those individual people. Yeah, but you can, you can always get the creative directory and uh, look at the production companies and look at like the lowest listed person, you know, usually a story. <laughs> no, and then you can pick up the phone and call them. And that's not a, a bad that's, idea. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So if I, maybe to kind of roll off your three things. So I, the second thing I would say is I think that a lot of writers have a misunderstanding of what they should be writing in terms of breaking in the business. So I think that writers understand that agents and managers are primarily in the business to be making money. I'm not saying that's their only objective, but it's certainly a main objective. So therefore, a lot of writers um, understandably come to the conclusion um, that they need to write scripts that agents and managers can sell. Um, And then so third of all, they look around and they go, well, what kind of movies are getting made? What kind of TV shows are being made? Let me write, you know, a four square rom-com or a certain horror film within a certain budget or whatever it is that lines up with their sensibility that also seems to line up with the marketplace. And this is actually often a strategic mistake. And the reason is I think writers don't understand the, the mentality of agents and managers, which is a lot of agents, and especially the agents from the, the, the mid-level to the really large agencies that I speak with and who I bring into my UCLA classes, what they'll often say is the script that I will sign a client on is a script that I'm extremely confident I cannot sell. And that seems to be like a weird a weird statement, but it makes a lot of sense if you understand the agent and manager mentality, which is they are looking for the long run, not the short run. So my agent represents, you know, uh, Aaron Sorkin. 
he also represents uh, J.K. Rawlings. Um, 10% of J.K. Rawlings, or 10% of Aaron Sorkin, is a career. You know, we would all love to have 1% of J.K. Rawlings or uh, Aaron Sorkin. At selling a script, which is great, and it's a great way to make some immediate money and change somebody's life, and I'm certainly not suggesting that agents aren't excited to sell a script, but selling a script is not a lot of money. What's a lot of money is having 10% of Diablo Cody's career or Aaron mm -hmm. Sorkin's career. So that's what the agents are looking for, and they're looking for writers who can write pitch-perfect authentic, and authentic means something original, something that we haven't seen before, characters that we haven't seen before, and, a, and an organic, authentic story. And it's not a, you know, the studios, when they're making movies, often they'll say, hey, this movie was really successful. You know, The Hangover was really successful. We want to do our version of The Hangover. And a writer with, with credibility uh, and a track record could certainly walk in there and say, what if we did The Hangover with women? What if we did The Hangover with senior citizens? What if we did The Hangover with dogs? Or whatever their variation is, they could very, it's not, it's, they could very likely walk out of that room with a deal and they could write that script. But the thing is, you, it's very difficult to break in the business with those kinds of scripts. What agents want is a script that goes viral, a script that everybody in town is passing around and buzzing about and get excited about for a lot of reasons. One reason is agents want to be in the incoming phone call business, not the outgoing phone call business. So if I'm an agent and I sign someone and they've written their uh, action comedy or their horror script and it, you know, it's by the book, it, it, we all know what sort of the popular books are uh, and the paradigms and it, it hits all those marks. And within that, it's really smartly written, and it's a really smart execution of a, of a formula, which, by the way, is not as easy to do as people think. Um, and now that agent's going to get on the phone and call everybody and say, you don't know this person, um, but you got to read this script. And they're, they're putting their credibility on the line for really busy people who are going to have to get up at 6 in the morning to read this script. And the agent's going to have to make a lot of phone calls and get people to do that, as opposed to if somebody's written a script that everybody in town is buzzing about, everybody's excited about it, then everyone's calling the agent. And people are calling the agent saying, I want to meet that writer. How come I haven't met that writer? And they'll clear their schedule to meet with that writer. So agents want scripts that go viral, that everybody buzzes about and gets excited about, and readers are passing to each other, like The Blacklist, or at least what The Blacklist used to be. I mean, it's certainly gotten a bit commercialized these days. A lot, you know, a high percentage, I, I was with the producer who did the analysis, and I think like something like 80% of writers who had been on The Blacklist back when The Blacklist was The Blacklist have careers. I mean, that's a pr really high percentage. Mm -hmm. And when you look at scripts on The Blacklist, uh, you almost never see the formulaic genre conventional material. It's something that the writer was really drawn to write. Um, so if you like, for instance, just as an example, think, um, and I'm blanking on his name, but the guy who wrote uh, American Hustle, um, you know, who's now an A-list writer, he broke in the business with a script called The Sky is Falling, which nobody bought and made because it was so dark and so twisted that the studios were scared of it. Right. But Everybody was talking about it. Everybody had to meet the guy that wrote this script. And he was doing lots of writing assignments, making comfortable six-figure income um, for himself, making monies for his agent. And now, you know, now he's 
hit and he's hit big. Um, so what agents and managers are primarily looking for is something that only you could have written, characters they've never seen before, uh, a non-formulaic, non-generic feeling script. Um, and it drives me crazy that so many experts will say, you know, you, you have to write this kind, you have to write a horror script, you have to write a, a comedy. Like you can't do noir because no matter how good it is, nobody's buying noir. And two of my students have just broken in the business, uh, are making very good money off noir scripts. Now, no one bought those noir scripts, no one's making those noir scripts, but those scripts were so well executed and so original, everybody was buzzing about it. Um, one of them is at, one of my students is at CA, uh, the other one's at WME, and they got all these meetings and they got jobs out of those meetings. If you're really, really lucky, you know, you write American Beauty or Juno, and it's a pitch-perfect, authentic script that does sell, does get made, and you're selling an A-list writer over in a very short period of time. That's if you get incredibly lucky. Uh, if you don't get incredibly lucky, you write a script like that, everybody buzzes about it, everybody talks about it, you get all these meetings, and you launch a career. And if you don't launch a career, then the, now you've got all these readers out there and executives who are your fans. So the next time you write a script, it's not read by readers, it's read by fans. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of agents will say is, okay, if that first script doesn't hit, maybe we'll have you do a second script, again, just writing something completely authentic. Because let's swing for the fences. Because if we get lucky, this is going to launch a potential A-list career. Now, if the second career doesn't hit, I mean, the second script doesn't hit, okay, now the third script maybe will take your unique voice and maybe now we'll try to figure out a more sort of commercial way to put it. And, and maybe that third script is the one that will sort of, you'll do your original comedy or your original horror. But that's not the script they sign people off of. And so one of the things I always do at my UCLA classes is um, I have everyone come in with like their paradigms, the way they write, the way they've been told they should write. I'll have an agent come in from one of the big agencies and I'll ask him or her to bring in 20 scripts or 30 scripts uh, of that they signed their last 20 or 30 clients off of uh, at the agency. And then I have everyone read those scripts and I ask them, how many of these scripts are written to that paradigm that you've been told you're supposed to write to? And usually out of 20 or 30 scripts, there's one or two that, that are written that way and none of the others are. There's, they, they're just very original scripts. They don't hit certain things on certain pages. Um, and so a, a second mistake that writers make is writing to a formula and or trying to write within certain commercial genres uh, constraints because they think that's what agents and managers are looking for. And by and large, that's not what managers and agents are looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to throw in a couple quick things. The first being how you sort of differentiate between uh, scripts that you know, for a script sale, there's a difference between a script sale and a career, meaning sure. so often nowadays, everyone's looking, you know, writers are looking for that sale. What can I write that will sell as opposed to writing what you want to write, writing what you have, are passionate about, sure. which will show and using that as a tool to sell, you know, as a writing sample to sell you as a writer. Because again, there's so many more OWAs than spec sales nowadays. Right. <laughs> it seems like, you know, you work with managers, you work with agents, you work with studio executives and production company executives and producers to develop material far more often than you will just write a spec on your own, you know, and then send it out and it sells. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just to jump in, if you all you got to do is call the Writers Guild of America, and nine uh, percent of revenues is earned through the sale of original material, and ninety-one percent is through paid work. I didn't know that's amazing, but that's absolutely. Yeah, um, and so and and you said something that's really smart, Kevin, which is. You know, a lot of writers are making this classic mistake of writing something that they're not necessarily passionate about, but they think is what they should be writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, you need to demonstrate that you're an amazing writer, that you can write amazing characters and an amazing original story, which doesn't follow the formula. And when you write something that you're really passionate about, you have your best chance of writing something that other people will be passionate about. Absolutely. Um, and then secondly, it was just a quick clarification, because I know a lot of writers get it confused. The blacklist that the agents and executives and managers and everyone votes on versus the blacklist where people, where writers will pay to submit a script to the posting board online and things like that. There are two different blacklists. And yes. the blacklist you were talking about is the actual blacklist, which started right. the whole thing by right. Frank Leonard, which is you, you can't submit to that blacklist. Right. Those and, blacklists are right. passed around between people in the industry and they're voted on by people in the industry because they're circulated, not because they were sent right. into the, the company and paid money to do so. And for, for many years, there was just only that first. The, right. The, right. And now I think it's you know, been commercialized. And, and for anyway, but yes, uh, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh, that's what I meant. And, and not that the, the, the blacklist, the paid blacklist website is, is bad because I do think that there are certain programs it has going on and, sure, and things like sure. that that can be useful to sure. those without access. But, you know, obviously it's a huge difference. Everyone thinks, oh, I submit to the blacklist and everyone, you know, if I get a good score, I'm going to have a g- huge career. That's not the same as, you know, being on the actual blacklist. That's all. Absolutely. Um, number and, three. <laughs> yeah, so number three. So number three is I would say that there are, there are actual skill sets that writers can and need to learn in order to write to the best of their ability. This is not something that, you know, I'm sure you've had a lot of managers on here. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when a manager launches a career, they create a a BS PR story often. And it's usually that this writer just sort of naturally has this talent and just sort of this was the first script they wrote. There's so many writers out there that everyone thinks, that the script that launched their career was the first script they wrote. And the truth is they've been writing for eight years, they've been mentored, uh, and they've developed themselves. So there's, you know, it's an industry full of overnight successes that took eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, unfortunately, have time like, to dig into all of these skill sets. And if you get interest from your readers, hint, hint, or your listeners, hint, 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 maybe I can come down, come back at some point oh, yeah. to talk about them. But let me just share one uh, skill set because it's not something that I think is often talked about, and I think it's a really critical one, um, if I may. So yeah. there's, there are, when you talk to readers and you talk to agents and managers, there are writers who can write amazing characters and dialogue, but they often can't create strong enough or sustain strong enough story. And there's other writers who are great at high concept and great at story, but their characters aren't compelling enough. They often feel like puppets. And there's a lot of writers out there, because I work with writers, and I'd say 80% of the writers that come to work with me fall into one of those two camps. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of frustration and sometimes even shame, you know, like, how come I can't, you know, why can't I create strong characters? Am I not smart enough? Am I not mature enough? Am I not whatever it is enough? Um, And it's a real frustration. So one of the skill sets I call creative integration. And there's a couple of pieces to it, and I'll try to keep this as short as possible. So there's two uh, sort of writing 
muscles that come from different parts of our brain. There's the conceptual and there's the intuitive. And most writers are wired to predominantly work from one of those spaces as opposed to the other. And so more conceptual-minded writers, they write outside in, and intuitive writers write inside out, which means conceptual writers would be someone who would say, I need to figure out my story before I write it. I need to break it down and outline it before I write it. A more intuitive writer would be someone who would say, I need to write my story so I can discover what my story is. I'll find it through the writing. Um, when it comes to characters, conceptual writers and intuitive writers are very different. So conceptual writers, they create their characters. They decide on who their characters are. And in a sense, their characters are like their employees. Their characters do things and say things to tell this story. And more often than not, readers just don't get that connected to these characters because they don't seem real and we don't feel what the characters are feeling. Intuitive writers don't create or invent their characters, they discover their characters. And their characters are real people. And their characters have real feelings. And they, when you hear Quentin Tarantino say, I'll do a draft where I just follow my characters around and let them do whatever they do, and I just am like a court reporter writing it all down, that's a very intuitive approach. So we have writers who tend to work. When I work with a writer, when I would do script consults, I would always ask, what got you excited about the script? What did you start with? And conceptual writers are always talking about the, the idea, the concept, the what if, the theme, the world, the twist ending, some structural element. And intuitive writers are always talking about the character. And they're always talking about uh, an emotion or an, you know, an experience that they had um, that they want to process through. So it's a very different value system. And the conceptual and intuitive parts of our brains they can't talk to each other. It's like the old days with the PC and the Macs. They, they cannot talk to each other and they can't communicate. And they both can't be active at the same time. So you're in a conceptual workspace or you're in an intuitive workspace. You can't be in both at the same time. I mean, you can go back and forth really fast, but you can't actually be in both at the same time physiologically. So what happens with most writers is um, they want to write the best possible scripts that they can write. That makes sense. They, they're hoping to sell the script or get a work. They're hoping to get an agent. They're hoping to get a manager. Or if they're earlier on in their journey, they're simply trying to write a script that they and other people can look at and say, I think you've got potential. I don't think you're wasting your time. Um, so we all obviously want to write the best possible scripts that we can write. So what we do, knowingly or unknowingly, is we write to our strengths and we hide our weaknesses. And we should do that if we're trying to create the best possible product. But over time, what happens is our strengths get stronger and our weaknesses get weaker. And so conceptual writers get stronger and stronger conceptually and weaker and weaker intuitively and vice versa. So when, the way that I teach creative integration as a skill set is when the writers come to work with me, um, I have them do some exercises. We can assess sort of what their strengths and weaknesses are and what their sort of natural way of writing is. And then I make them write to their weaknesses and hide their strengths. So it would be like someone who's right-handed and they're very coordinated and strong with their right hand, very weak and uncoordinated with their left hand. I will have them tie their right hand behind their back. And for a month or two months, they're only allowed to interact with the world with their left hand. Now, they're going to spill stuff. They're not going to be as productive. It's going to be, their life 
quality of their life might deteriorate. <laughs> but at the end of those two months, their left arm is going to become stronger and more coordinated because most writers are always leading with their strengths and trying to hide their weaknesses. And once I can get someone to develop their weaknesses to make it as strong as their strengths, then I can teach them the more challenging and rewarding part of integration, actually learning how to integrate the two. And this is where transformation occurs. And this is where, you know, people call me and they're like, I, 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 I gotta tell you, I just talked to my agent or my manager or my writing group or my spouse. And they said, I love you. I can't believe you wrote the script because you don't write characters this amazing or you don't write this woman just called me a couple of days ago and she said her manager said I'm so relieved because I love your characters and your dialogue but I always struggle with your scripts I don't always understand what's happening um, it, it, there's just not a clarity and a crispness to the storytelling um, but I love your characters and dialogue um, I just read this script now was so clean and so crisp and the story was so engaging and of course your characters were amazing because that's what you do it was like a joy to read it um, and then, and now that manager is sending me people. And, um, so that's creative integration or writers not pursuing a strategy of creative integration is why you see a lot of writers out there who are really good at part of the matrix, but not so good at the other part of the matrix. And the, the last thing I want to say, um, because I don't want to sound like one of these people that says, hey, come take this class, give me some money, and I'll change your life, and you'll be amazing, uh, nice and easy. I just want to say, this creative integration that I'm talking about uh, literally is transformative. And I have worked with writers who um, you know, have managers and have, don't have careers because their characters aren't strong enough or their storytelling isn't strong enough, and they now have very strong careers. Um, but it's really difficult. And it takes time, and it takes a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of suffering. It's really hard to write to your weakness and hide your strengths and to go outside your comfort zone like that. So um, I don't want to give anyone any false expectations. It can be done. It is transformative. It's really, really difficult. But that's a skill set that unfortunately isn't taught in a lot of these screenwriting programs. Um, and that's one of the skill sets that can really make a difference. And it's a skill set that can really help people get to that point where their scripts are pitch perfect authentic because, you know, as I'm sure your, the, your listeners understand, if, if you're just trying to write a pitch perfect execution of a script, but it doesn't have to be authentic, it doesn't have to be organic, it just has to be a pitch perfect story execution, that's a lot easier than doing that where it has to be pitch perfect and authentic. And obviously, if someone's going to write a script where it's like, this has to be authentic, like every step of the way, it has to be believable that the characters would do this. These have to be real people. We can't ever see the hand of the writer. Uh, it's a lot easier to do that if you're not worrying about having a pitch-perfect story. So pitch-perfect authentic, which is the term... Um, it's funny, a couple of my students just signed with managers and they were like, my manager's using the term pitch perfect authentic, which is a term you know, that I first heard from you, Corey. So how cool that managers are listening to you. And it's like, no, no, you got it reversed. I've stolen that term from managers. I meet <laughs> with lots of managers. Um, the thing is, is, I think what most managers don't understand is they know what pitch perfect authentic is. They know it when they see it. They know they want it. They know that that's how they can get people the best chances of not only launching a career, but an exciting career. 
uh, one of my students who, you know, had been writing sitcom uh, specs for a long time and actually had sold one for, you know, like $150,000, which isn't a huge amount of money. But for a lot of people, that's a nice piece of money. I'm certainly not trying to say it isn't. But that was like one script out of, I don't know how many, like one script out of six years. And, um, and he would always write sort of this conventional sitcom. And I finally got him to do a Pitch Perfect Authentic, which is to write the sitcom that he most wanted to write, the, to write from an authentic place of pain. Um, and he was really concerned that it'd be so dark that no one would ever buy it. And as, you know, explain exactly what you said, it's not about selling a script. It's about launching a career. Anyway, he wrote a Pitch Perfect Authentic. And again, Pitch Perfect Authentic is so difficult, but he did it. And uh, everyone buzzed about it. Everyone wanted me to. No one bought the script. They all said it's just too weird and twisted and effed up for you know what we want to be doing. But there was a bidding war for him, and he signed an overall deal with a with Warner Brother TV, and he's getting I think like four four fifty um, to for a year to write pilots. And so it's an over. So he's guaranteed that money to be creating new material for them. I mean, it's a it's a plum. Uh, it's rare for someone without um, a track record to get a deal like that. And the only reason he did is multiple parties wanted to work with him and be engaged with him as a writer. Right. And the only reason that happened is because everyone was buzzing about the script. So the thing about managers, they know what they want and they know it when they see it. But I don't think what they always understand is how incredibly hard it is to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's basically impossible for someone who's not integrated. So if you're working predominantly from a conceptual place or working predominantly from an intuitive place, you might be able to hit the pitch perfect. You might be able to hit the authentic, but you're not going to, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to hit both. Um, and so that is one example of a skill set that is learnable and develop, you can develop that and it can be a game changer. There's some other skill sets like that that uh, if you or your listeners uh, are interested, I'd love to come you know, down the road and we can talk. We could do yeah, maybe yeah. a whole podcast on just what the other skill sets are. But that's one example. Oh, that'd be great. Um, and reading, watching, playing in terms of video games. This is something we like to ask. What are you reading, watching, and or playing? In terms of video games? Yeah. Or what are you reading? You know, whether it's you know, novels, screenplays, comics... Uh, what are you watching on TV or film? Uh, or great. You playing? Got yes. it, got it, got it. Um, so I am finishing up a script that I have a deadline for. And I it really frustrates me, but I can't read fiction when I'm writing. And mm -hmm. I don't really know why, but I can't. So I, I tend to read nonfiction and or I read... Uh, plays for some reason I can do that but I can't read fiction and I love fiction so I'm finishing up the talent code uh, which is a nonfiction book and I think it's absolutely amazing um, in terms of TV you know they're all my favorite shows are like not on right now so um, I just uh, caught up on Fargo because I hadn't seen it love that I thought Fargo was the was amazing mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, like the, my none of my favorite shows are on right now, so I'm really disappointed. I think the only show that I'm watching, and I'm embarrassed to say it because it's reality, and I don't like reality TV, but I I am addicted to Shark Tank, so I am watching Shark Tank. Okay, um, and so for those listeners who may be interested in uh, learning more about your 
workshops and things like that. Uh, your website, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you want to throw those out there? Yeah. So the best thing is my website, which is coreymandel.net. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't fast enough to grab .com, so it's .net. <laughs> CoreyMandel.net, and my email is Corey at CoreyMandel.net, and it's on the website. So I do um, an eight-week professional screenwriting workshop, and we teach the skill sets, creative integration being one of them, and the other, uh, writing and compelling conflict, um, process uh, by association, rewriting the other skill sets. And um, it's eight weeks, and in L.A., I teach them live and in Santa Monica at the Writer's Junction. And, but I also do the classes online uh, over WebEx. So it's real-time video conferencing. And it's like a real classroom. We can see and hear each other. And we're all there for the same three hours. Um, and I have writers from all over the world and, and L.A. who do the online sessions. Um, we're sold out for the rest of the year. Um, the online January sessions were sold out. But I'm probably going to try to uh, fit a new one in. So... Um, and there, last time I checked, there were like three spots left in the live one, and that's in January. So um, if you're interested, you should go to my website, coreymandel.net, um, or, and or email me at Corey and coreymandel.net. Uh, the workshops are $4.95. Uh, we could round it up to $500. And um, I'm happy to give anyone, any of your listeners, a $50 discount, um, but uh, they, when when you sign up for the class, make sure that you let me or my assistant, Lisa, know that you're a listener and you get this $50 discount. Uh, but I'd certainly be happy to extend that. Oh, that'd be great. And uh, although you're sold out to the January one, but you sound like you have a lot of great uh, lessons and a lot of great information. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'd ask people to check out the website. I'll say my classes are different from any other classes out there. Um, it's not going to be a great fit for everybody. Um, but for the people that it's a great fit for, they get really excited because, you know, a lot of my students have MFAs, a lot of my students have taken other classes and no one's teaching. Basically, I don't focus on product, I focus on process. And basically, I want to help people build out the skill sets so that they can get to the point where they can write pitch perfect authentic. That's the way, that's what that manager did for me over that year and a half. And so that's what I endeavored to do with my students. And again, it's not for everyone, but for the people that are really excited by it, um, you can check out more information on the website. We, we tend to sell out three to four months in advance. Wow. So I'm not sure when this will air. But um, anyway, if, if someone wants to do it and the January classes are sold out, we'll do them again in March. Cool. So, uh, and as always, we'll have some of these links on our site. Um, be, be sure to check out our website also for more great interviews and resources on writing, scriptandscribe.com. Uh, and thanks for joining me today, Corey. Thanks it. so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, everyone have a good Halloween holiday coming up and uh, we'll talk to you soon.